Hello, I'm Pastor Paul, an associate pastor at Living Word, and this is our podcast. I want to say thank you for joining us today. I know this message will minister to your spirit and it will build your faith. I know God will move in your life because you are a doer of the Word. Enjoy today's message. I am uh, I'm excited, I'm eager to, to speak tonight and eager to kind of continue where we left off a little bit when we talked about treasure, right? We talked about Matthew chapter 13, talked about a whole bunch of things. But again, we'll just give the worship team a little minute to sit down and enjoying this warm weather. Can I get an amen? Sad that 43 degrees is warm weather, but hey, by golly, we got it. So I'll take it. I'll take it. But last week we talked about Matthew chapter 13, right? We talked about the parable of the, the man finding the treasure in the field. We talked about how uh, each and every one of us, we're just a dirty, dusty old field, but by golly, God put some treasure in there, right? Amen? We talked about uh, how we are to see the treasure in others, how uh, any person we come across, odds are there's something there, right? Odds are there's something important, something special, something God-ordained, God-breathed that is in every person that we encounter. Amen? They just might not know it yet. We talked about how God wants to refine our treasure so it can be fit for his use, right? I brought that little ignition wrench, that tiny, tiny little wrench. We, we talked about the rivet in a Boeing 747. Remember that? Talked about how you might think, you know, Josh, I'm nothing too special. Well, neither am I. You might think, well, the treasure within me, the precious metal that God put in within me, it's maybe not a whole lot's going to be left after he refined it. And we said, hey, 747's held together by a tiny little rivet. Think what God can do with you. Amen? Talked about, uh, you may think your treasure is small, but remember the rivets of a 747. And I wanted to add one more thing before I get into tonight's message. We talked about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or if the, my veggie tail people, Rack, Shack, and Benny, right? Rack, Shack, and Benny. Talked about them and about how they were the three Hebrew boys, how uh, King Nebuchadnezzar was this, frankly, kind of a bad dude, right? Kind of a, kind of a, a not okay guy. If you read about uh, King Nebuchadnezzar's history, he was kind of a nut job, but he also was insanely, insanely successful as a king. I mean, they, they, they kind of referred to him, and I, I don't mean this to sound sacrilegious, they kind of referred to him as a king of kings, right? Because he was, he was in charge of all the leaders of all the areas. He was one of the most mighty kings of Babylon, and he did a lot of bad stuff. He actually went crazy for about seven years. I think, if I remember right, I think the scriptures say he ate the grass for seven years, had some sort of mental health disorder, overcame that. But where does this tie into treasure? We talked about how every single person that we encounter probably has some treasure in there. And there's a few passages in scripture, and I'm just, I just want to, to kind of wet your whistle. There's a passage in Jeremiah, I think it's chapter 27, but you go and find it. You go be like the Bereans and go see what I'm saying and see if it's true. And Jeremiah is prophesying, and God referred to King Nebuchadnezzar, my servant. Even a dirty old king who was as crazy as they come. God referred to him as my servant. Somewhere in there, he did something right. Somewhere in there, some treasure was dug up. Now, he had a lot of natural treasure, maybe that much spiritual treasure, but even King Nebuchadnezzar had some treasure in there. Amen? 
That's pretty remarkable when you think about it. But I want to talk tonight about, uh, about Peter. I want to talk tonight about Jesus. Uh, I know this is, uh, a lot of times this, this story is used and this uh, account is used in sermons, but I, uh, I want to kind of approach it from a different angle and continue off uh, a little bit where we left off referring to uh, the treasure, right? We talked about last week how, uh, you know, the devil is out to suppress treasure within us. We talked about, you know, how those three Hebrew boys, they had treasure within them and they faced persecution. They faced all kinds of stuff. They even obeyed God and faced a fiery furnace and how God turned that fiery furnace into a furnace of refinement. Amen. So we're looking at uh, Peter walking on the water to meet Jesus. And I'm looking in Matthew chapter 14. We're going to read some scripture tonight. Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. Now, I'll read here. And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. Now, Jesus had just fed. I'm skipping over a remarkable, amazing miracle of Jesus. Go back and read it if you've never read it. Go back and read it if you have read it. Go back and read it if you read it this morning. It's worth looking into. But Jesus just got done feeding the 5,000, right? The multitudes came. Jesus said, all right, disciples, y'all go ahead and feed them. They said, we can't go into the town and buy bread. And Jesus said, just figure it out. Turn the, the, uh, the, the bread and the fish, the loaves and the fish, they multiply it, all 5,000 were saved. And if you look in another uh, one of the gospels here, they actually say that the people were going to force Jesus into being their king, right? So this is why we find Jesus, we just come right into the middle of this picture where Jesus constrained his disciples. Y'all go, get to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, I'll meet you there, I need to go pray for a while, right? Y'all with me? He perceived that the people would make him a king, and he knew that was not part of the plan at that time. Now, my first point, point number one, for those taking notes tonight, Jesus has sent us into the sea of this world. Now, verse 24, and the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. Now, I want to look at this, that little, tiny little verse right there and break it down into three different parts. There's three things that happen. There's three things we see in this account uh, in the scriptures. First one, but the ship was now in the midst of the sea. Recognize something that you and I, we are in a ship tonight. We are in a purpose-built ship we are in a ship that God designed us to be in for this moment in time. And the ship that God has put us in is our provision for this time. Okay? For this moment where we are, the ship represents some provision. The ship also allows people to be in an environment and in a, in a climate where they uh, normally wouldn't succeed, where they normally wouldn't make it, right? It allowed these, uh, these, these men to float across the sea, recognize that God has provided something for us to exist in this world, in the sea of this world. Are you with me? When God directs us, he provides for us. Remember, Jesus constrained the disciples. He, he uh, all but forced the disciples, get in the ship and go to the other side. Recognize that each and every one of us, we got a treasure within us, right? There's something God put in us. There's a purpose. There's a plan that he has for every person in this room. And he is constraining us 
to step into his provision and go out into his plan for our life. You following me here? Our salvation and our identity in Christ Jesus is what enables us to be in this world and not of this world, right? We're talking about that, that scripture there, verse 24. The ship was in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. Now, I said our salvation and identity in Christ is what enables us to be in this world, but not of this world. Now, recognize something. God has created us to be in this environment. He has provided a way for us to be in this world with all the junk that's going on, right? All the people out there who are not for you and I. All of the spiritual forces out there who are not for you and I, right? There is this climate that God has provided a way for us to thrive in. And here we see a natural picture of the disciples being in the ship that Jesus put them in and he sent them across. Now understand, God has designed us to be an upstream swimmer, right? The way of the world is to go one way. The way of the world is to lay back. Just whatever happens, happens. Anything goes. But Jesus has called us to go upstream. Amen? What do I mean by that? He's called us to be uh, fishers of men. He's called us to go against the current of this world. Now, I'll give you, a, I'll give you a, just a simple word picture. My mom, I'm going to pick on you. My mom is in the audience tonight, everyone, as she always is, with Emery, holding Emery, as uh, Grandpa Craig tries to write notes, right? Now, I grew up in the middle of nowhere on a house on a hill in the middle of the country. We wasn't a whole lot to do, so we just uh, we found stuff to do, right? Me and my brother got in all kinds of trouble, all kinds of scars, all kinds of stitches, you name it. But uh, my parents saw we needed an outlet, some way to burn some energy, so they bought a pool, Right? Now, we got this pool. We built this pool. It was a permanent above-ground pool. Had a nice deck we got from some, some wonderful people close to our, our family. And uh, we built this pool. There was some injury that happened in building that pool, but we won't go into it. I almost lost an ear, but again, we won't go into it. But my mama, for years, has been a, a working-out woman, right? A cardio woman, I mean, she'd be there, there's a, the, the VCR would be running, and the woman with the little, uh, you know, like the, the uh, what are they called, leg warmers on the TV doing like this kind of thing, and my mom would be sitting there, you know, going back and forth in front of the living room, sweating and grunting and all kinds of things, and Caleb and I, it was just normal. So we had this pool, and, uh, and we liked to swim, you know. And of course, my mom would be out there in the pool doing her, her water aerobics and say, no, it's a great workout. It's a great workout in the pool. But, uh, but, but every time we'd all swim together, my mom would start. It was a big round pool. I don't remember how many feet, 25 feet, 28 feet, something like that. I don't know. It was pretty big. And uh, my mom would start a whirlpool, right? So we'd be going around one way and going around one way. And I don't know, we'd do 50 laps maybe. By the time it was all said and done, I mean, we were cruising around. I thought I was Aquaman, just swimming underwater, how fast it was. And it was all so fun. We loved it. But then there came a moment where my mom, the workout woman that she is, said, all right, boys, got to go the other way. And I remember we'd turn around and we would push and go through the water and the water would push up against us and we'd try and swim and it just keep us going back. But there'd mom be pushing across the current, pushing against 
the stream, pushing against the tide. And just like that, if we stayed right behind old mama, we would make it through too. And before you know it, the current changed. Before you know it, it was just as fast, maybe even faster as the first time around. Recognize, ladies and gentlemen, we have a responsibility to fight the current. We have a responsibility to oppose the current. I'm not talking people. I'm talking the enemy. All right, there is a devil. We know that. We know that Jesus came to give us life, life more abundant, but it's the devil who steals, kills, and destroys. But recognize that God's provision for the place that we're in, he provides. When we obey God, when we act in his obedience, when we act and obey his plan, then there's some provision. Let's keep reading here. We talked about in this verse 24, the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. Understand that Jesus has sent us into the sea of this world, much like he sent the disciples in the midst of the sea. But moving on to number two for this one point, tossed with waves. You know, recognize that the church as a whole has, uh, you know, I'm not talking about living word necessarily, but the church universal has uh, experienced some tossing, right? We've experienced a little bit of a pushback or kickback from the way of this world, from the enemy, from whatever political climate there is. But the world is, uh, is trying to rock the boat right now. The world's trying to rock the boat all the time, you know? The boat was being tossed with some waves here. Now, I, uh, I'm a believer in, in doing your research when it comes to the Scriptures and looking up what, uh, what the Greek and the Hebrew mean. And, of course, this is the New Testament, so it's Greek. But the first definition, when you look up what they meant when they said tossed, was torment, right? Actually, no, excuse me. That's not the first one. A few of them. I'll get to the first definitions. A few definitions were torment or to be harassed or distressed, or this is a good one, of those who at sea are struggling with a headwind. A headwind. You know, if you've got a sailboat that just uh, its main way of going forward is a giant great big sail, you got to have the wind going. Let's say you want to go north, but what if the wind is coming from the north? You know, that's, that's a headwind. We used to fly, and I'd, I'd fly with my grandfather, Papa, and he passed away this past year, but uh, we'd fly with Papa, and uh, Papa and I would be in the airplane, and he'd get a kick out of it when we had a good tailwind, because we would cruise right along. But as soon as we had to go the other way, it wasn't the same story. The performance was uh, hindered by a headwind. But the first definition of tossed, right, tossed to and fro, you know, is to test as in metals, like gold and silver, by the touchstone, which is, a, and for those who don't know, a touchstone is used for, uh, you know, it's a really old school way of testing the purity of metal. It's a, it's a black, salacious uh, stone. You know, it, would, uh, it, it takes a little bit of the material off, whatever you're testing. You rub the material off, and you compare what's left on the stone to what you had beforehand. So if you had a gold coin you knew was 24 karat gold, you can rub that on there as your control. And then if someone you're bartering with someone, they've got a gold coin or they've got a gold jewelry and they say, hey, it's 24 karat gold, you can actually scrape that against the touchstone and compare it to the other. Now it's a little bit old school, but it actually has about a one and a half percent degree of, of error. But still, 
That's 98.5% of, uh, of getting it right. So back in the day, there were, you know, I'm sure there were merchants, there were tradesmen, there were salesmen who had their own touchstones. And they would, uh, when they would barter and do business, they would compare. You know, if, if I'm doing business with Zach, Zach's a real good, trustworthy guy. But if I don't know Zach, I'm going to test his, uh, his gold out. I'm going to see if it holds true, if it's pure. And the first definition of, uh, of toss is to test metals by the touchstone. And uh, when they would do that, they would rub it on the stone and to test the purity of gold or silver by the color of the streak uh, left on it by rubbing it with either metal. Understand that we can look at the condition of the world and life based on uh, uh, the enemy's perception of tossed, right? Tormented, pushed around. Or we can look at God's definition. We can allow God to place us on his touchstone, to measure the purity of our hearts. Recognize something that when the world is tossed to and fro, we have an opportunity to say, all right, God, test my heart. I'm not saying God's gonna send something bad into your life. We know that's not what he does. We know that because of John chapter 10, verse 10. I just said it earlier, the thief, the devil, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus came to give us life. But recognize that while this world is going through this tossing and this turning, God is looking at the hearts of his people rubbing them against his touchstone, seeing the purity. And I want to encourage you tonight, if there's treasure in your field, there is purity in your heart. If you want more of God, if you crave more of the Lord Jesus, if you want to give more of yourself, even if you're frustrated with your walk, even if you mess up and make a mistake and think, God, I just can't seem to do anything right, but he's looking at the purity of the heart. I don't know about you, but I'm glad that's my Savior. I'm glad that's Jesus, right? Because I can, uh, I, I'm not saying, we're not talking about a false grace here. We're not talking about a anything goes and God will just forgive you kind of a thing here. But we're talking about the heart. And if the heart's pure, that's what God is looking at. Understand that God is rubbing the hearts of his people against his touchstone. We can tie that into last week, how we talked about the furnace of destruction that the men were faced with and how God turned that into a fire of refinement. And they came out of the, the furnace refined, changed, not physically. But in their life, there was a, a difference. There was a change that happened. We talked about uh, the ship was in the midst of the sea. It was tossed in the waves. And lastly, for this part of the scripture, for the wind was contrary against, opposite, opposed as an adversary, hostile, antagonistic in feeling or act. Understand that the wind of this world is contrary to the trajectory that Jesus has sent us on, but he has given us ability and authority to overcome. You remember my mama turning around, going back against the whirlpool, pushing back against it, it's a funny example, but it reigns true of what Jesus has done for us. Remember, Jesus just told the disciples, hop in the ship, go across the sea. I'll catch up with you. They're freaking out. The sea's going crazy. The wind's going crazy. There's waves everywhere. They're probably getting wet. In verse 26, actually verse 25, goes on to say, In the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, 
walking on the sea. Now, uh, in Jesus' time, the night was divided into four segments of three hours. Before Jesus, the Jews used to divide it in three segments, the night, right? But, uh, but in Jesus' time, there were four segments of three hours, and they each had a different name. Now, the first uh, uh, time, the first watch, so to speak, was the evening watch, then the midnight watch, then the rooster crowing watch, then the morning watch. So they're at the, uh, kind of through the darkest part of the evening, coming out about 3 to 6 p.m. is kind of that morning watch, or 6 a.m., sorry, 3 to 6 a.m. Uh, and the fourth watch was the final watch. Now, verse 26, when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled. I probably would be too, I gotta admit, right? I'm in the middle of a crazy storm. I'm in this tiny little wooden boat. I'm freaking out, thinking I'm about to die, and all of a sudden I see a man walking on water. I don't know about you, I am not... Uh, I am not so holy that I wouldn't think, what in the world is going on? Right? I like to believe I'd be one of the disciples and say, oh, that's Jesus. But I don't know about that, you know? Says they were troubled. <laughs> Hi, baby. Are you coming here to see me? Come on. <laughs> I'll hold you later. You come back up, I'll pick you up. You can preach with me. But the disciples saw him walking on the sea, and they were troubled. And they said, it's a spirit, or it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But recognized that Jesus broke through the natural barriers by walking on the water. To be of aid to those who chose to obey him. Those who chose to go out into the sea for the next assignment. See, uh, we talked last week about how Shadrach, Rackshack, and Benny, it's much easier to say. Rackshack and Benny were, uh, were faced with a choice, obey God or bow down to another, uh, another God, right? Bow down to an image, to an idol. And uh, in their wiseness, their smartness, and all of their wisdom, they chose, nope, we're not going to bow down. We're going to keep serving our God, right? You'd think God would think, oh, great, we're just going to avoid all issues. They're not going to face any problems because they obeyed God. But in that moment... They were faced with a fire. They were faced with a furnace. They were faced with danger. In their obedience with God, they were put before a furnace. Understand these disciples and their obedience to Jesus, a simple, simple, little, easy verse of just getting the boat and go across the side. In their obedience, they obeyed God, but they were faced with danger. They were faced with some resistance. They were faced with some pushback. Recognize when we step out and obey God, there's probably going to be a little bit of pushback. There's probably going to be a little bit of a current change. How can there not be, right? How can there not be? But recognize just like the same way God rescued Rakshak and Benny, Jesus came out walking on the water, defying our natural laws of physics to rescue his boys. See, understand that when we step out, when we uh, push forward, when we choose to walk into uh, more lordship with Jesus, if there's opposition, recognize he comes to our aid, and he will bend the natural laws of this world to make that happen. Now, that comes out of our obedience. If you ain't in obedience, I can't say that's going to happen for you. But recognize, uh, uh, this is a message about lordship. This is a message that everyone, young and old, has to make a choice to do every day, right? Paul said, I die daily. Every day, Paul, this great man who laid down his life for Jesus, who wrote 
pretty much, I don't know, three quarters, uh, two thirds of the New Testament by inspiration of the Holy Ghost, still had to die daily to what he wanted to do, what he was doing, what his plan was, what his desires were, and choose lordship with Jesus. And in that, cho that choice of lordship, we see Jesus coming to rescue, coming to aid those who obeyed him. Verse 27. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. Sometimes it's good to hear that from God. Ooh, let me tell you what. And Peter answered, good old Peter answered and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto the water, come unto you on the water. And in verse 29, Jesus says one word, come. Now, Peter kind of gets a bad rap in this, uh, in this story. Understand, Peter, I, I didn't necessarily like what he said. He said, Jesus, if it's really you, there's some skepticism there, right? There's some skepticism. Jesus, if this is actually you, then you tell me to come on out. But I want to show you something. We have to give room for people's skepticism and let God work it out. We have to give room for people. Now, I'm not saying we don't just uh, not teach the word. We teach the word. We teach the word and we show with signs following because what happened when Peter, who didn't maybe have the right mentality of Jesus, if it's really you, Jesus said, come and find out. See, people might have some skepticism about choosing the Lord Jesus Christ, but it is up to us to say, hey, come and find out. I said last week how your life is a testimony, is the middle of a testimony right now. Recognize that you and your life will tell of others of how good Jesus is, of what he can do for them. And just because Peter was a little bit skeptical, there was still faith. There was still treasure. The heart was still pure. Are you seeing that? We always teach the word. We'll never back down with what the scripture says. But we will show people. Not just talk, but walk. Amen? Peter's reasoning may not have been the best because he said, if it be thou. But Jesus looked at the heart of Peter and said, come. He measured the precious purity of Peter's heart with his touchstone. And he let Peter experience his anointing. What am I trying to say here? I'm saying we have to give room for people who may not necessarily believe 100% right away. But I tell you what, when they have an experience with the anointed Christ Jesus, they'll all change. One experience with the Lord Jesus will turn skepticism on its back. One experience with the Lord Jesus will turn the greatest of skeptics around. And his anointing, you walk on water, by golly, you believe too. But he measured the precious purity of Peter's heart with his touchstone. Remember, we learned about that. Understand that the wind of this world wants to toss people out, but Jesus gives us a chance to be lifted up. Now, Jesus saw Precious treasure in Peter's heart. He sees that in you too. 
But if you want to make Jesus your Lord more and more, I'm just going through my notes here. I want to make sure I hit everything because I'm almost running out of time. If you want to make Jesus your Lord more and more and give him first place more and more, that's the right attitude. See, I don't like how Peter said, Jesus, if it's really you, but recognize the heart that Peter had. If it is you, I want more. If it is you, I want more. We have the responsibility of saying, it is. It is Jesus. Come on, you know what I mean? If you're struggling with that purpose in your heart to step out of whatever, whatever comfortable place that we are in and understand that people's outward appearance, people's conversation may not appear the best at first glance, but we got to get out of the way and let Jesus put their hearts to his touchstone. If we look back at verse 28, it says, Peter answered and said unto him, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come out on the water. That's the right attitude. That's an attitude of lordship. That's an attitude of Jesus, I believe on you as my savior. I believe on you that uh, you died on the cross for me, that you, are, uh, are, that uh, you caused me to be born again, that you died and rose again and were resurrected. But then I talk about it every time. There's that next step of lordship. We may not know what that next step looks like. We might have a little bit of skepticism. Jesus, I don't, I don't know if this route, if this direction, I'm comfortable in my ship and my provision that you've gave me for this moment in time. I don't know if, if I'm supposed to step out yet. But if it is you, bid me to come. I want to encourage you tonight that we know the Lord Jesus. The scripture says that we listen to his voice. We hear his voice and listen to the voice of no other. Sometimes we have to believe that by faith. Actually, I'll say it every time. We have to believe that by faith. Maybe you're caught up in the middle of your ship that God has put you in for this time. But perhaps tonight God is bidding you to step out of that ship into the next area, into greater and greater lordship. Amen? Now, Peter gets a bad rap, but there were 12 disciples in the boat and only one stepped out. I don't really like those odds, to be honest with you. One out of 12? I would encourage you, myself included, purpose in your heart to be one out of the 12. When trouble comes, Jesus delivers those on assignment. Verse 29, when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. And you all know the rest of the story. When he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. Understand, beginning to sink. Excuse me. Beginning to sink. That's that pizza I ate before. I told Zach I shouldn't have eaten some pizza before. But recognize Jesus, or Peter began to sink. The moment that we come into trouble, the moment that we come into an issue in our life, understand the precedent that Peter set at the very moment of sinking. Lord, save me. Jesus, come help me. Understand that the Holy Spirit is our counselor, our comforter, our helper, our guide. And in a moment's notice, the drop of a hat, quicker than, uh, than a snap or a blink, he's there. 
Recognize, I said in this point, that when trouble comes, Jesus delivers those who are on assignment. Remember, the disciples had done what Jesus told them to do. They got in the ship. They went out on the boat. Jesus tells us to get in the ship or get in the boat, go out onto the sea, go out into the sea of this world. And when the wind rose up against the disciples, uh, Peter recognized Jesus, said, Jesus, if it's you, come to me or let me come and walk on the water with you. And Jesus said, come on. And in the moment of trouble, the moment of toil, the moment of pain, the moment he was tossed and began to sink, he said, Lord, save me. Now, disciples were where Jesus had told them to be, but the winds of the world rose up against them to destroy them, particularly rose up against the one stepping out. But keep reading. Verse 31, and immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? Remember how I said we got to give people uh, their place if they're a little bit skeptic? They've got a little skepticism. Jesus will reveal. He will take away that skepticism and show them there's doubt, right? O thou of little faith. Wherefore didst thou vow? See, Jesus chastised Peter's faith. But the experience that Peter had led to him, led to Peter declaring later in Matthew 16, you are Christ, you are the Christ, son of the living God. See, Jesus chastised Peter in that moment of little faith. But understand that the experience with the anointed Christ Jesus changed Peter. And that experience with the anointed Christ Jesus will change us to where when all these people, there was all this question, who is Jesus? Isn't he just the carpenter's boy? Yes, but he does all these miracles. Maybe he's Elijah. Maybe he's whatever. Peter said, you are the Christ. You are the son of God. At that point, uh, let's keep going on here. And when they were coming to the ship, the wind ceased. And then they that were with the ship came and worshiped him, saying of a truth. Thou art the Son of God. See, after the experience, they said of a truth, Thou art the Son of God. But understand that at that point in time, the new covenant wasn't established. At that point in time in this scripture, we don't see uh, Jesus hadn't died and risen again and ascended on, uh, from the cross, ascended up into heaven. Right? The new covenant hadn't been in place. They were still under this covenant, the law, the old covenant, the Old Testament. But recognize where you and I differ in this story is that we have Jesus living on the inside of us now. We have the one who can calm the storm within us. We have the one who says, come on, come on out, living within us. See, Peter and the disciples didn't have that. You and I do. And I'm going to wrap up here. I don't want to go too long. I've got another point. But I will just say the point and I'll... I'll, I'll Tone it down a little bit. I'll trim it down. Understand that Jesus' lordship in our life changes our role. What do I mean by that? We see the disciples in the ship. We see Peter stepping out. We see the Lord Jesus saying, no, come on, why Why'd you do that? You should have kept your eyes on me. Understand that when we give more of our life to the Lord Jesus, we give more of our life to his plan, that changes our role from being the one stepping out into the boat to being the hands and feet of Jesus for others. To seeing the treasure within others. To see people grow in the spirit. 
to see others grow in their understanding of the Lord Jesus, to be as Jesus was when people step out, when people uh, step over the boat and they see the wind and the waves and the problems, to be as Jesus was and pull people up. See, when we make that decision to give Jesus more of our life, when we make that decision to make Jesus not only our Savior but also Lord, which we will spend the rest of our days doing, that will shift our role from a role of being the victim to the role of being the rescuer. And we don't get the glory Jesus does. His Holy Spirit living within us. Amen? My last scripture for the night, 1 John uh, chapter 4. It says, herein, I don't know, this is round, I didn't put the number on, it's round about 16 or 17, maybe 18. It says, herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, as Jesus is, so are we in this world. We are Christ Jesus' hands and feet in this world, and he flows and operates through you and I. It goes on to say, therein, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear has torment. Fear has waves that toss people to and fro. See, our responsibility changes when Jesus is our Lord. As he is, so are we in this world. That is a remarkable, profound scripture. By his authority and anointing, understand that we walk on the water to rescue people from the storms of this world. We call the storms to be still. And because of the authority and anointing of Jesus Christ within us, the storms listen. We empower people around us to come up out of the water and to spiritually prosper. See, recognize there's a... There's a, 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 a uh, what's the word I'm looking for? There's a, a chart that happens. There's a growth that happens. We may start out being the disciple in the ship, but we make that choice of lordship to step into the next area that God has for us. And if we encounter trouble, which we probably will because we're fighting the current, just like my mom fought the current in the whirlpool, we fight the current, understand that Jesus is with us saying, come on. Come on up. And at that moment in time, that encounter, that, that, uh, that instance with the anointed Christ Jesus, it shifts our role. And he wants to do that to others through us, through you. Amen? Recognize that people have treasure, that you all have treasure, and that God is testing our hearts and the purity of our hearts against the touchstone. And I, you know what I see in every single person here is purity. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time tonight, Lord. I thank you for this message, for uh, Lord, that you just make it so easy and you make it so obvious for us to, uh, to choose the Lord Jesus. Now, Lord, I thank you that maybe the initial step is difficult. Maybe the initial step is hard to get out of our comfort zone, but I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are calling us up higher. Lord, I thank you that this is a church that you're calling up higher, and I thank you that these are a, pe are a people who will listen. Father, I thank you that each and every one of these people uh, are one of the 12. Father, are one of the 12 choosing to go a little higher, choosing to uh, give more of their life to you, choosing to trust you more and more. Lord Jesus, we want you to know we trust you in all that we do. Jesus, we glorify you and honor you tonight. In your name we pray.
Amen. Thank you for joining us. A special thanks to those who give generously to this ministry. It's because of you that ministry at Living Word Church is possible. You can get more information on our website at go2lwc.org. You can also give online as well. If you enjoyed today's podcast, you can subscribe. You can share it with your friends. You can take a screenshot and post it to your social stories. You know what? You can even share it in person with someone who needs encouragement from God's word today. Thanks again for listening. And as always, you're welcome to join us in person where we will worship together and God will minister directly to you. Be blessed this week and be a doer of his word.